Let's move on. Let's, uh, let's continue our series. We're going to finish chapter 4 of James this morning. We've got about uh, five verses that we're going to look at to close out James 4, 13 through 17. There's a little outline there for you guys that are here with us. Um, so follow along. If you're at home, I hope uh, you're in the practice of having your Bible with you so you can track with us as we go through verses. Um, and then there's only one chapter left, chapter 5. And we'll be done. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for things like parties, things like ministry, children, all the opportunities that we have, uh, good things that come down from heaven above, from the Father of lights, you, in whom there is no shifting shadow. It would be easy for us to ask, uh, why do bad things happen to good people, Lord, maybe this morning we could learn more how to ask, why is it that you give us so many good things? And then what do we do with them? Pray this morning, Lord, you would help us as we look at uh, how do we think? How do we prioritize? How do we decide? Choose. So I pray for our time, for your word, for your guidance in it. And then, Lord, for how we apply it as we go from here. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Okay, uh, this one's going to hurt a little. Okay, you've been, been to the hospital? And they say, oh, hold on, this one's going to hurt a little, right? And I joke about happy Sunday and bummer Sunday. and eh, We'll see. It could be a little bit bummer Sunday. Although the good news is always better than the bad news, right? Oh, okay, pretend like your second service, okay? The good news is always better than the second service. <laughs> we got them, didn't we? Yeah. The good news is always better than the bad news. Um, and so there's a, there's a little bit of indictment here, a little bit of challenge on us, but we got to find the good news at the end of it, okay? So that's what we're going to be looking for in these five verses. Come now, verse 13, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year and there and trade and make a profit. Now, not too many specifics in that, right? Hey, we're going to go, we're going to do some business. We're going to go such and such a town. We didn't even need to name the town. Um, so is this about specifics? Not so much, but it's also about any specifics. You could fill in almost anything in that sentence and it would fit. And James says, I have something to say to those of you who are making plans. He says, careful. <clears throat> Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Underline that. How do I underline that on the screen? Don't do that, okay? Uh, but this, this is a great sentence. Now, it hurts a little, doesn't it? At first, it hurts a little. You you had a shot. I mean, it's kind of a funny question right now, considering the year and a half that we've had. You ever had two shots? Don't answer that question, all right? I don't ask anybody if they've been vaccinated. I just let you be private. Um, you get a shot, you take some medicine, or you go for treatment, or uh, what's the thing, like you hurt your knee, and then you go in every week, and they bend it, and what's that called? Therapy. At first, 
it might hurt. At first, it might be painful. At first, you might be sore, or your body might have a negative reaction, or you get a bruise in the shoulder, or whatever. That's at first. Later on, what happens? It gets better. Bruise goes away. Maybe you gain some function, right? Maybe I shouldn't use that phrase considering the gain of function studying that's been going on. Um, We gain something over the long term rather than worrying about what the short term, uh, what did Paul call it? Light and momentary affliction is like. You don't know. That hurts a little bit right now, and maybe at first, but what I found is it feels good. Long term, I love that. I don't know. I know what tomorrow brings. I've come to enjoy that. Why? Because now what's tomorrow? Surprise. It's a mystery. The surprise. What's going to happen? Uh, If I needed to know, that's a control issue. And we see that James is getting into this idea of how much control do you have or how much control do you want to have, think you have. Interesting question. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What do you know about tomorrow? Let's Let's play a little game. What do you know about tomorrow? Name something. Probably, oh, way to answer the question and not answer the question, right? We don't know the sun will come up tomorrow. I mean, sun, there's, day, there's day left today. It could all end today, right? What do you know about tomorrow? Here's, here's about all you'll know. It may or may not come, <laughs> right? There's a bunch of stuff that may or may not. Have you ever had a day that went totally different than what you thought? All right. As far as James is concerned, case closed. We, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. One day you're in a good job and the next day they bring in and you've been reassigned. Or here's a cardboard box. Put all your stuff in it and walk to the parking lot. Or flip side, you're in your cubicle and just doing your thing, bored out of your mind, and they walk in and say, Mr. Berglund, we'd like to promote you. Hefty raise, corner office, right? You never know what the day's going to bring. Uh, I would submit that uh, even better with God. Even better with God, you have no idea what's possible, right? The uh, Bible says with man is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I have to say the sentence one more time. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. And then he says, what is your life? Wait, that's like too broad of a question. How do I even start to answer that? He's being a little sarcastic or facetious. For you are, he's going to tell you what your life is. That's why he asked you. He wants you thinking about it so he could tell you, you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Welcome to Bummer Sunday. You're uh, the usual suspects, right? Verbal Kent explaining to the investigator. You think you know where uh, Kaiser Soze is, and then poof, he's gone. And he goes, bah. That's the very end of the movie, right? Sorry, I didn't spoil it for you. But it's this idea that we can have, not just us, we can have things 
that are right before us and then they're gone. Or looking for something that we do not have and bam, it appears. And when it appears, you have to say bam, okay? We don't know what's going to happen. We're here for a short time. Instead, great. This is what um, current uh, psychology industry calls replacement behavior. James, instead of telling us, don't do this, don't do that, don't think this way, da, 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 you're in trouble and you're bad. He says, hey, look, these aren't very good, but here's what you could do. Let me give you a replacement behavior for what you were doing, which was making plans, choosing your options, making decisions. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Is that an answer? I mean, it's an answer to something you could do. Well, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Is that leave open to all kinds of options? I was leaving all your options open. No specifics. And again, like the initial question, we could drop any specifics into there and it would fit. And what has changed? Because before I was going to such and such a town, today or tomorrow, I was going to conduct business, make a profit. It was going to be good. This says about the same thing. We'll live and do this or that. So what's the difference? We're playing old school sesame. One of these things is not like the other. Differentiate. If the Lord wills, what's God want? I think we need to bring back an old phrase. It's gone. You need not say it with a southern accent, but you should try it at least once in a while. It's fun. Right? What are you doing? Lord willing and the crick don't rise. Remember that phrase? Well, Lord willing and the crick don't rise. We're all going down the store, right? We're all going down to the crick and get naked. We'll get all washed up and come on right back. Old phrase that our family used to use. I don't know why, but I kind of understand why it died out. But it's this idea of uh, what's God want, and I've always, I've always, uh, since I became a Christian and started to realize God's really in control. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Well, who rose the creek? He did that too. Then I wrote, I read Job. And I'm clear on what he's capable of. Instead, you ought to say, what's God doing? What would God like to see? How would God handle this? What would God say? Would God go there? Would God spend his money on that? Would God look at that? Would God put that in his body? Instead of, you know, I think I want to go there and I want to do that for me. Big difference. And by the way, it's how we learn to love other people. Because you've got to get outside of yourself and figure out what the Lord's will is. And until you can do that, it's pretty much impossible for you to honor someone else's will. Because you can't even honor God's will. How would you honor a lesser will? Instead, you have to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live 
do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. <gasps> what? I thought I was just making plans. All of a sudden, he tells me I'm being arrogant and boastful. How's that boastful and arrogant? Is the interactive portion of the morning. I know I do most of the talking, and I enable you. Your turn to talk. How's it boastful and arrogant to say, uh, today or tomorrow we're going to go to this town, we'll do this or that, and make a profit? Because you think you're in charge, and that's why she teaches Sunday school. The rest of y'all were quiet, right? But as soon as you think you're in charge, as soon as you think you're choosing options, get your outlines out, look at the top, it says James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17, and then what does it say? Choosing options. Bam! And what did you think? Scott's going to teach me how I can choose options. Gotcha! 100 people surveys, top five answers on the board, none of them are you. Who's choosing the options? Who presented the options? Are you choosing options or is it God choosing options? Whoa. So, a little fun. Take your pen out and in front of the title, I want you to write who is. No extra fill in for this morning, okay? Because uh, we don't want to be boastful and arrogant, thinking that we're in charge. Thinking we get to choose what to do. And watch this, because he, God is um, coming at us through James with this writing in one direction, and he's about to sucker punch you from the side. You ever been blindsided? I, I played competitive soccer pretty much my whole life. I'm not sure I'm done. I mean, I know the last year and a half, all of my games have been postponed or delayed to a later date, but I'm not sure I'm done. And I can't tell you how many times I've been doing something on the field and another player, and I didn't see him coming, and man, it hurt. Here it comes. All such boasting is evil? Wow, would you just get called? I'm sure that's about you. That couldn't be about me, right? All such boasting is evil, so when you try to make your own plans, you've stepped in evil. So whoever knows, verse 17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is, interactive portion of the morning, whoa. I want us to really look at that last verse and, and see a couple things. So whoever knows the right thing to do, what's just been implied? You have to know the right thing, but it's also then, therefore, possible. It's possible to know the right thing to do. And then this is where I, being the simple-minded, simple 10, I'm simple twice, I thought it was told at the beginning of the passage not to make plans about today or tomorrow or such and such a town and to do business, but here it says, I do know the right thing to do. Oh, I thought that was what I was trying to do before. So which one is it? Do I know the right thing to do or not know the right thing to do? Because I think I might be lost. 
do I need to go on one of those daytime television things where the person interviews you and the crowd votes on whether you had good answers or not? Daytime talk show? You know the right thing to do when you're following God, when you're asking what he wants, when you're looking at his will, when you're comparing your options to what he chooses, his priority. When you're doing the wrong thing, you know. When you're pursuing yourself, you know. It's been pretty interesting to me when I meet with people for pastoral counseling. They present a conflict and almost always after talking through it for a while and asking a few questions, who knows the answer? His name is not Scott Berglund. They know the answer. They just wanted to hear someone else say it or confirm it, or they were hoping that I would contradict it. But they knew. You know the good you ought to do, right? And if you fail to do it, when? Today or tomorrow or in such and such a town? This is all in the present tense. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, someone other who doesn't have the last name of Grogan. When? Now. Today or tomorrow, well, they got trouble of their own. They'll show up when they show up. They usually show up late or early. It's so frustrating. They show up with all the wrong things. Wrong. They show up exactly when they intended to with whatever God willed. And I can waste my time worrying about that or hoping for that, getting excited or depressed. Or I can say, right now, what am I, what does God say I ought to be doing right now? That's freeing, folks. Some would say that's taking the control away from you. Others would say that's freeing you up to see what his options are and watch what's working, what's not working, what's hurting people, what's not hurting people, what's in line with his, here's a word, precepts, and run with it. Just run with it. I love... Um, there's, a, there's an aspect of sports that I just love. Most of the time, you're, you're waiting and watching what your team, someone else has the ball, and they're doing something, and you're trying to get in position, or you're sitting on the bench, and you're cheering them on, or you're supporting them from behind, or you're giving them an option forward, or something like that. Unless you're a Raider, then you're not really doing anything. Um, and then you get the ball. When you get the ball, everything changes. It doesn't matter what sports it is. We get the ball, it's, it's time to do something. Do something. One of the most sad moments I have to have as a coach at times is when I have a player and I explain to him, you, you got the ball and you did nothing. 
We got to have something when you have the ball, right? Today, now you have the ball. Do something with it. And I had a player um, very upset with me. I benched him for quite a while. Dad talked to me. It, it blew up. Uh, they won't talk to me to this day. I put him in the game. Seven times he got the ball. Seven times he gave it to the other team. And I was trying to give him a chance. And finally, my assistant coaches are, are bugging me. Pull him off. The, you got to pull him off the field. He's killing us. When you got the ball, you can't give it to the other team. When you think you're making plans, when you think you're in charge, when you think your discernment is better than anyone out there, you're stepping in evil. You're actually giving the ball to the other team, to the opposition. Now, pretty, pretty good confession here, okay? I love to hear why people came to Christ. Why is it that you believe in God? How is it that you put your faith in Christ Jesus, right? It's questions we would ask right before we baptize somebody. I love that. I give you a little confession. I, I picked the whole God thing and the Jesus thing and the Bible thing and all that kind of stuff because you know why? I like to win. Does anybody figure that out? I'm dead competitive as it gets, right? Uh, adult guy was telling me the other day about how he had a race with some little girls and he beat the little girls in a race. And most of us would say, what? come on, what are you doing? I was kind of like, yeah, sounds right. Sounds good. <laughs> I want to win, right? How we win is be on God's side, right? And then let the little girls win when you race them, okay? Um, how we win is following the Lord's will. How we win is figuring out what is important today, what is important now, according to God, and then take the ball and run with it. Get into the open space. I like to say, when people come and ask me the question, how do I know the Lord's will? There's a bunch of little answers that we go through. One of my favorite ones is, is the door open. If, if you've got options, has God opened a door for you? A great way to look at it. Um, why would God open a door for you? Be simple. Why would God open a door for you? People at home answer because the people here are not answering. God opens a door so that you will walk through it. Does he tell you what's on the other side of the door? No. He loves that word faith. He loves that. It's like everything is a faith lesson. Oh, I got, what's behind door number two, right? What's the price of that? I'm not going to tell you what's back there, and I'm not going to tell you how much it costs. I'm not going to tell you how much time it's going to take, or who's going to support you, or who's going to cross you. Get up. Go. That's what we got to look for. Well, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Uh, number one, change your plans. Change your plans. Do your plans work? 
I'm so scared to answer. I know the answer is Jesus, but I don't see how it fits with that question. Our plans work? You're, you're the only one who cares. Right, didn't we sing that this morning? Okay, what's that say about your plans then? Yeah. They might work accidentally. When do your plans work? Because I know some of you practical people, feet on the ground, right? You're like, no, my plans work sometimes, Berglund. Don't give me this bumbo, bumbo, you know, devotional stuff. My plans do work sometimes. When is that? When it's in line with God, right? When you've adopted his plan, it works. So change your plans and adopt his. There you go, that's your feeling. Change your plans and adopt his. Watch, it's going to appear on the screen. Bing, see that? I love this uh, set of questions. One of my favorite sets of three questions they really go well together. You split them up, and it's not, it's not as good. Um, but somebody asked me this in high school. It stuck with me to this day. Uh, the first question is this, what do you want? What do you want? I mean, now, the reality is if you can't define what you want, you're in trouble. And by the way, everybody around you is in trouble. No one knows how to help you. You got to get clear. You got to understand, like, self-introspective, like, what do I want? Be honest. Self-evaluation. Come up with a good answer. That's a fun exercise. It can be. Question number two. What does God want? Ooh. Can we go back to back to question number one? <laughs> can we just spend our time over there? No. What does God want? If you could set aside what you want and start asking the question, what's God working on? Where is he? Where's his progress evident? What doors are open? What hurts, but I know it's right? Great question. Now, I left out, will it work? Will it be painful? Will I get payoff? Left out all that stuff. It's just, what does he want? There's no, how is it going to happen? Just, what does he want? And here comes the third one, right? This is the mic drop. What, what do I want? What does God want? And are they the same? Ooh, I hated that set of questions when I first heard them in high school. Because what did I know? The first two questions, about as far apart as they could get. I got things I'm pursuing, things I think are most important. God's over here going, wow, this learning curve is going to be rough. He's going to bang his head on the wall a bunch. When it's about me, most things are in southern accent. Okay, this is... I just enjoy it better. Uh, so change your plan and adopt his because he's the only one who can. We see that in verses 14 and 15. Uh, secondly, arrogance comes from claiming what only God knows. Arrogance comes from claiming what only God knows. When you try to decide something or speak a truth, and you better be dead careful. 
You could be stepping in evil. You could be passing the ball to the other team. You could be crushing another person. You could be sending yourself the opposite direction on the path of where God intended. You could be walking away from an open door where God has awesome for you. We go through that door, boy, it's going to be awesome. And yet we turn and we go the other direction. In fact, there's a story about it called Jonah. It's a whole book. Uh, who won? God won. What about Jonah? He was down at halftime by a lot. He was losing in the third quarter. At the very end of the game, God threw a Hail Mary and Jonah ends up winning. But the whole journey was rough. Who else won? Who do we always forget in the Jonah story? Nineveh won. Secular people, yet to know the Lord, and everybody wins because it was God's plan. How did Jonah get in trouble? He became arrogant. He made decisions about the Ninevites. He made decisions about what God should or should not or ought to do. And he made decisions about himself for himself. Ouch! Now he got, he got whale vomit all over him and stuff. This is a bad, it was a bad trip. Maybe arrogance comes from claiming what only God knows. It says, uh, you don't know about tomorrow. And, and I, it's almost like I want to put that up somewhere where I have to see it every day. I have no idea what, what tomorrow will bring. A couple weeks ago, we read uh, Jeremiah 9, uh, verses 23 and 24. This idea about uh, let the rich man not boast in his riches, the wise man not boast in his uh, wisdom, let not the uh, strong man boast in his strength. Uh, but what does it say? And I apologize to guys in the tech booth because I forgot to give them this, but it says, but let the one who boasts, boasts of this, that he understands and knows me, God speaking in Jeremiah, by the way, that I am the Lord who exercises mercy, justice, righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. He says, uh, don't go boasting about anything. You want to boast or be arrogant? You got one thing. You're chasing me as hard as you can. Enjoy that. James says about the same thing here. A couple weeks ago, uh, I left out the next verse. Today, I want to make sure you hear what verse 25 says. And I told you it's a little bit bummer Sunday, right? Because behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised and yet uncircumcised. What does that even mean, Scott? Circumcision was a, a, a sign of covenant and faith in God because Abraham tried to make a decision on his own opposite of God's plan. And God says, tell you what, now we're going to mark you and we're going to mark every male from now on. You don't make decisions. I make decisions. I told you what was supposed to happen. I told you what was supposed to happen with Sarah. You tried to go solve it with Hagar you're going to have a reminder from now on. We're going to call it circumcision. And you're going to do it to every male born in 
the whole nation of Israel so that they will never forget who makes the decisions. Who makes the decisions? God. And yet Jeremiah says here, says, you know, God's going to come and punish those who are circumcised. They have the mark, and yet uncircumcised of heart. You know, you got the tattoo, but you don't act like it. It's like we used to say, boy, you got really nice cleats, but you don't play like it. You keep finding ways to get off the field and, oh, you're injured or you want to skip practice or you don't want to drive that far to the game. You know what? Pick another sport or go do something else. If you're on the team, show up to practice. Show up on time, stay the whole time, do all the drills and play through the pain a little bit. Learn the phrase, rub some dirt on it. And when it's game time, nothing else matters. For me, that's kingdom of God. Show up, do now what you're supposed to do, and quit making your own decisions. When the ball goes over there with the rest of the team, where are you supposed to go? With them. You know what I do to the players? When, when the team goes this way and they, they're still standing over here, what happens to them? Sub, ref. Most common used phrase in the sport. More, I just said more than anything else. Substitution, Mr. Referee. We got to figure out if we're claiming Christ, but not acting like it. I got a cross that I wear. I got a tattoo that says the Greek word for servant on my wrist. Yeah, but you act like a jerk. I met that guy. I didn't make that up. He could tell me how to pronounce the Greek word for servant, and he's trying to tell me that it means servant. I'm trying to tell him, eh, they didn't have servants. They had slaves. It actually means slaves, but you don't want to say slave because of how current culture is. So you soften it up to say servant, and then you put it on your wrist because you thought it was cute for your little sign to the community and all the people who know you. It's bragging rights. It's arrogant. It's evil, and you're treating everybody like crap. Stop it. That conversation didn't go very well. Um, we got to act like we're circumcised because it's not circumcision that saves you. It's not baptism that saves you. It's not baby dedication. It's not membership at this church. There's one thing that saves you. Christ is Lord. Amen? Amen. Act now. Number three, act now. Time short. Act now. Hey, coach, I, I don't know if I want to play in the first half. What? I've actually had players, more than one, way too many than I'm comfortable to say. Coach, I don't know if I want to play in the first half. Uh, I always want, I never said this. Someday I'm going to say it. Oh, that's good, because I, I don't want to play you at all. My college coach used to tell me, don't ever ask me to come off the field. If it was best for you to be on the field, don't ask me to come off. You'll never go back on. And he didn't mean that game. If it's your turn to be on the field, don't ask to come off. Whoa. Act now. Uh, are you supposed to act like me? Are you supposed to act like Fred or Wanda? Are we all... 
supposed to act the same? Do we have all same things to act on? We all have different gifts, talents, abilities. Your act now looks different than someone else's act now. But in that, ask the Lord, what do you want? What do you want in this, God? Where are you going with this? Who, who else should I involve? What outcome would you like? What is my next step? And probably you should write that down because that's one of the great questions. Is God in this? This is the first question. Is God in this? First question. Second question is, what's my next step? Or you just put next step, question mark. God in this? Say yes or no. Is there still a next step? Either answer. Whether God is in, yes or no, there's always a next step. You're either running, right, Joseph, David shoulda, or yes, he's in it. Okay, how do I get my hands dirty? Where's my next step? That's when it gets fun, folks. That's when it gets exciting. Bumber Sunday? Hell no. Because when you get through the door he opens for you, when you get your hands dirty on the rope and start pulling the direction he wants you to, when you start acting now, evil does not have a chance. You've stepped away from evil. The phrase hell no is actually dead accurate. You're moving away from evil and into, uh, you just did that for like shock value, Scott. Okay, that was brilliant for you. Good job. But it's actually true if you think about it. Last night, I stood up here with pastors and wives and leaders for the Costa Mesa Baptist Association that our church belongs to. And uh, our director of 16 plus years, uh, he's, re he's retiring. God's taken him out of the game. His body physically can't do it anymore. He went until his body couldn't go anymore. His name's Jack Roberts. Many of you know him. He's preached here many a time, and he, he shall again, Lord willing, in the creek don't rise. We stood here, and we honor Jack. And person after person, men and women, stood up. Jack, I remember when you this. Jack, I remember when you that. Jack, you met with me for breakfast for like 10 years. Walked me through all these different things. Guys who started churches with Jack's help. Guys who closed churches with Jack's help. Guys who merged churches. Ladies who worked on their husband. All these different things. Because he knew how to act now. I met with Jack Roberts every week at Pete's Coffee. I know that's a shocker. Uh, off Bollinger. He would drive down, I'd drive up, and we'd sit at Pete's Coffee for like two years. Planning. I can't tell you how many times he said, well, yeah, this week. You got to do that. Wait, this week? Yeah, why, why would you wait? Well, don't I need to organize this? No, no, no. No, go do that this week. We're going to meet next week, and we're going to talk about how to go. 
It was amazing. All the guys in the room last night, I said, if you're preaching tomorrow at church, raise your hand. Like 15 guys or something like that, raising their hand. Like Jack, all of those happen because of you. And a bunch of those churches have started churches in other places. I said, Jack, we got a guy in the Central Valley, Gino, who's preaching tomorrow morning because of what you helped us do here, then let us help him do that there. The choice to act now made things awesome. And I have to say it, the night after he retired, none of you would be here if it weren't for Jack. And the next time he's here, you're going to hug him because he doesn't like physical touch. <laughs> no, uh, Jack, Becky, thank you. I don't know, at some point you might see this if you're online, but uh, uh, thanks for what you did. Uh, now the question is, what will you do? What will you do? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, uh, show us how to act. Show us what your options are and what you're choosing, Lord. Help us to view it rather than uh, bummer, Lord. Uh, look at opportunity, freedom, pressures off of us. You're the only one that can, so we're really just on the team. Rather than coach, we get to play. And, and Lord, I, I pray you would show us what our role is. What's the ball you want us to carry? And where you want us to carry it. Pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to do all to your glory, according to your will. We thank you for the offering that we're about to receive, Lord. We pray you bless it. And use it for your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.